0: Greetings from the team at Vendia, and welcome to Circles of Trust, the podcast for leaders across all industries committed to speeding up innovation at scale and making a profound positive impact on business and the world. I'm your host, Tim Zonka. We're about to dive into a conversation with longtime leader and expert in the dental laboratory and manufacturing space, Robert Edwards. He's the Director of Application Development and System Architecture at Glidewell. In this episode, we're going to talk about data sharing across the medical device value chain. So we'll explore challenges and impact that better data sharing has on patients now, as well as uh, the promise for better patient experiences in the future. So let's jump in. Robert, it's great to have you on the show.
1: Thank you. Great to be here. I like that introduction.
0: Um, So, you know, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, first uh, just about your background and then tell us a little bit about Glidewell and what Glidewell is up to.
1: Well, I've been a software engineer now for, oh my gosh, like over 20 years. Uh, Got into it kind of by accident. Uh, I thought I was going to be the next great writer. Um, That didn't work out, but uh, I could fix computers and uh, do little things here and there. And it was just a lot more interesting than writing. Um, and so I just started my journey just, uh, back then the best you could do is buy a lot of books. So I bought a lot of books dove in and then told some lies in some interviews and, and worked like crazy. And so uh, here I am, um, I've been at Glidewell now for, uh, 13 years and, um, you know, from software engineer to lead to, uh, manager and director, uh, what we do at Glidewell, it, it, it really does sound boring on the surface. You know, we're a dental laboratory, so we make tea. But we do it just at a at a huge scale. So uh, we probably do um, what your average large dental lab will do in a week, we probably do in a day, we do that, you know, that many units. And because of that, uh, we just have a lot of data. Uh, And we were able to use that data to start to create the blocks that um, laboratories use to, you know, to mill the parts. So we would sell uh, to other laboratories, we were able to create machines, so mills and ovens and things like that. And we, we sell those to um, dentists so they can do in-office milling. We have a pretty uh, proficient uh, machine learning uh, discipline at Gladwell uh, Laboratories. So, you know, we use data to automate a lot of tasks, to do things that consistently that humans do inconsistently. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, data is very important to us.
0: You know, you mentioned a little bit like the dentists or dental offices. Can you go a little bit deeper into what are the different kinds of organizations that you work with? You know, I I assume it's, you know, like you already mentioned, kind of like dentists, offices, uh, you know, what's their profile typically look like? Like, I just have kind of my local dentist that I walk down the street, you know, my head, but like, you know, is it someone like that? And then anyone else like on the manufacturing side, like who are the, what's the network look like? I guess that.
1: So our main customer is the dentist. Um, and you know, dentists, uh, are typically still very small operations like you, you identified, but, uh, there's a growing, um, dental service organization kind of movement. It's kind of like the HMO for dentists. So, you know, when you go to, um, dental school, you're really focused on, uh, patient care and, you know, um, the restorative side. And what happens is when you graduate and you, you, you kind of branch out, you become a business owner. And so. Uh, we try to do as much as we can there to, um, to help our dentists, but these dental service organizations come in and they really try to run the business so you can focus on, you know, um, what your core competency is. So you don't really have to be a business owner anymore. And then there's just other types of, um, uh, vendors. So scan systems, you know, if you've been to your dentist, depending on whether he's old school or not, he put some goop in your mouth and made an impression. Or he scanned your mouth um, and created a digital impression, basically. And so those scan systems kind of sit between the lab and the dentist. And we work a lot with them, um, device manufacturers. So, you know, we build our own mill, but we also purchase mills from um, from other companies. Um, and so we work a lot with, uh, with vendors on that side as well.
0: And then what about, um, I assume... Like even just some of the technology you talked about there could be really sophisticated, and so is that the the role of the uh, you, you know like my dentist? I don't think has an IT sh- uh, you know staff. Yeah. So like, what kind of challenge does that present as you kind of provide a technology based solution to people like that?
1: Oh, it's huge because um, we'll get anything from the dentist to, you know, we send out these fancy RXs with little bubble, you know, it's like a bubble form so that you can um, indicate, you know, give us the proper indications, what material you want. But we have the dentist that just basically just writes all over that, you know, ignores the form. Um, and then we have the, the really sophisticated dentist that wants to do the scanning and the in-office milling. So, um, you know, it's been typically leading up to now where you would make that appointment, they'd make the impression and then they'd make a future impo- appointment with, you know, like two weeks out. Now, what we're able to do is same day. Um, so oh, that wow. uh, they scan your mouth, you go run an errand, come back and your tooth is milled and, and ready to be placed. Um, so it, it's just a wide range. And then even among the dental service organizations, some are just much more sophisticated than others. Um, I would liken it to The insurance industry, I I don't know how it's evolved now, but I remember back in the day, it was just very, uh, very limited technology, you know, uh, with technology. And, um, you know, you could make a lot of money with a fancy access database, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where dentistry is right now. You've got the very sophisticated and you've got those that just don't have a need to be sophisticated. Maybe I'm going to retire soon. I don't want to learn a bunch of new things. I don't need a lot of technology. I just need to get ready to sell my business. That makes sense. What about, um, so, you know, now that you painted a little bit of a,
0: a picture on kind of the, the network that is, you know, information's being kind of shared across, um, can you go into some more detail? What types of data need to be shared, you know, from like a dental office, you know, to you, regardless if it goes through one of those other servicing groups or not?
1: Um, really it's the, it's the, the restorative information, the, pres- the prescription, um, surprisingly enough, we don't really need patient data. Um, so okay. we, we'll get patient names, but we don't even know if that's an identifier or the real patient name. Um, we just need it, it to be a pointer to something, but really it, it's the restorative data. Um, what we're making, uh, customer data is a lot of data that we get again, being the, the dentist. And that that's that's largely it. Uh, but we just get that data in very different formats, and that becomes the challenge of it all.
0: And yeah, t- like go deeper there. Like what what kinds of formats? What- a
1: piece of paper coming through the door, um, uh, a zip f- uh, file with some XML data and some 3D data in it, um, HTML data, uh, webhooks where we have to integrate and pull. Um, data in a very specific format from, from a vendor. And so there's just no consistency uh, uh, in that way.
0: Is that part of, you know, we, we touched on this when you and I were talking in a different context. Is that part of what Glidewell, like what's Glidewell's role in that? Are you, are you normalizing that? Are you making the, the data sharing you know, easier across these parties?
1: No, we're, we're normalizing it for our own purposes, um, okay. but we're not yet really normalizing it for uh, to pass on to someone else. We did have, our CTO started that effort, uh, man, maybe like eight years ago uh, or so. And it's very difficult because, you know, again, as I'm saying, there's just so many types, different levels of competency across this industry that it's difficult to not only come up with like a standard schema, but just a standard transportation mode, you know, all of that became very difficult. And it, it may looking back, it may be easier now. So that you know, that that effort may get started up again. But it's just there's just a lot of challenges too. Everybody wants you to access their data their way and they want to access your data their way. And you know, that, that's what makes it difficult.
0: And then what so what do you or your what do, what what is you or in, you know, kind of proxy of like your team what have you done uh, to kind of make that easier to help satisfy that request?
1: So something that we're working on is um, our own integration platform. Uh, we bring on, so Glidewell, again, is huge. So we bring on things like Microsoft Dynamics 365, um, Workday, you know, as as third-party SaaS software. We integrate with some uh, scanning systems. We build our own systems, like I said, so we have our own uh, even CAD software that we use. And so with all of that, there's similar data, whether it be financial, whether it be customer data, whether it be um, the restorative data that needs to be exchanged just within Glidewell. Um, we, we pay our technicians on piece rate. So even that data, you know, coming from um, a lab system and then going into Workday and then going into Dynamics, you know, that needs to be consistent. So what we do is that integration layer where uh, when we bring on Dynamics, they need to uh, conform to our contract, basically. Similar contract with Workday's, you know, um, our customer, you know, our CRM system, same thing, and our turtle system so that we are not, and this is a problem not only in our industry, but across, uh, I know Microsoft tried to solve it with their common data model, and I'm not sure where where that is right now, but people call, the same thing, different things, you know, there's different terminology, Mm -hmm. even internal software groups, they it's account or it's the dentist or it's a doctor or, you know, we're, we're all talking about the same thing. And so what we want to do just for our own sanity is have these gateways that normalize that, um, when sending data across to different systems.
0: And it sounds like mostly systems for driving then internal efficiency.
1: Yes, right now it is. Um, it, it you know it's at that stage where you have to prove it out and you have to iron out you know yeah. all the kinks, and then you get to a point where you start to approach maybe a DSO that wants to send some data or they want to pull some data, and then we tell them, hey, look, we have this this easy to use uh, gateway for you. You know everything's all set up. You've got your Swagger docs. You've got whatever you need to make it easy development. There's not some integration kickoff meeting, nothing like that. Yeah. Um, we want to get to that point um, where, uh, you know, someone, uh, a company decides they want to integrate with us and maybe they don't even need to call us. Maybe it's just kind of a digital um, interaction, you know, and they're ready to go at some point. And, you know, once they've proven some things, we give them the green light to, to exchange data with us in production. So, yeah, you know, we want to get to that point. It's kind of like, uh, you know, going back to that movement my CTO started like you know, years ago maybe the way to do it is to properly incentivize them if they want to work with us. And, you know, as Glidewell just grows, we have that gravity that kind of pulls in um, different organizations to, to want to integrate with us for whatever reason. They'll now conform to this and then they'll pass that on to the, you know, partners that they work with.
0: I want to touch on, you had mentioned something in that, you know, just before that, like very last point around, like if someone wanted to, you know, kind of integrate and, and kind of leverage what you're working on to do so, and what I interpret it as like a bit of a hands-off way, and in my experience is, you know, the easier it is for someone to do something like that, there's usually a really gnarly mess of stuff under the covers that someone, you know, probably like you or your team has has kind of figured out and fixed. So, what are some of those complexities? You know, I don't know if it's like logistics or privacy or whatever that things that people don't think about that. You know you and your team are just kind of steeped in to to make an experience like that possible at some point
1: well i mean kind of going back you know everyone calls you know they want to call something something different and then there's different protocols that they want to use and then there's just the the maintenance of stuff right so if someone changes their api changes the schema and something breaks now you know there's a rush to run and fix that or maybe even worse it's not used very often. And so then there is no rush to run and fix it. Um, and then, you know, making sure that that data is easily accessible to our internal users, because if it's not, I, I don't know at every place, but at Glidewell, they, you know, they're very industrious and they, be, they start to collect their own data. You know, um, you know, they'll put it into Access or they'll put it into Airtable or, you know, wherever. And so now we have, um, you know, what's the truth? Even down to a, a, a dentist's address, maybe we're, we're stale. And that Airtable uh, database you know, is that source of truth now. So really governing all of that and, and making it so, again, going back to everything being easy, it's got to be easy for those who want to integrate with us. And it's got to be easy for internal people who are consuming mm-hmm. our data. You know, that's a lot of the challenge. Um, but in you know, something like dentistry that's evolved over such a long period of time, you know, just the names of materials and keeping things in sync uh, with other organizations because things go out of sync very quickly. And what's that mechanism? What's that trigger point? We bring on a new product. This is the base material. Um, this is basically the bomb. You know, how do we keep that in sync? We update uh, some material for something. How do we keep that in sync with uh, not only third parties, but even internally? Um, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, there's just a lot of challenge around that and just interpreting what a uh, 70-year-old dentist who insists it's kind of like um uh, you know my grandma called every refrigerator a frigidaire so people have this terminology locked yeah. into their heads um no grandma it's not a frigidaire it's a, you know, it's a it's a samsung so doesn't understand that um and so uh just making sense of that trying to get some consistency both internally and externally um those are our biggest challenges we don't really have a lot of challenges around again I would say like patient information and locking that down because we, we, we really have that uh, first name, last name, maybe, or some identifier. Um, I, I think that's uh, well, and in, in going back to, you know, what you're talking about before the different, I guess uh, uh, entities involved, when you think about it, you've got that patient management system that's in the dental office. That's basically their CRM system. Right. And mm-hmm. they've got, um, and maybe, maybe it's accessible, maybe it's not, right, the information that's in there. So one of the challenges we have is it would be great to be able to know, A, what's coming into us quickly, because if it's a scan system, we know. If it's mailed to us, we don't really know. Um, and be able to let the dentist know in their system what's going back out to them and when, um, because that helps with... When they need to schedule you, like if it's going to be that two weeks out, Uh, if we have a delay, we need an easy way to to let them know that. But because there's different types of systems used, some are sophisticated, some are not. That's a difficulty. And then you have other systems that play a role, like that scan system. So that patient management system, the scan system, those are two independent systems, and then GlideWell is a third, right? And data is going to flow through all of those, but not in an automated fashion. in, in more of a manual fashion. And so that that brings up other challenges, especially, you know, I'm going back to my the machine learning team. For them to be able to help the dentist, which is one of the goals of Glidewell, it, it, it makes it very complex there too.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about, um, like, I guess what I would call like the data modeling uh, challenge that you talked about just a moment ago? And you know, even kind of jokingly talking about like your grandmother talking about a Frigidaire versus just a general refrigerator or a certain sort of brand. What does that process look like for, you know, either you or your team or Glidewell? How much of that data modeling are you doing internally and then kind of vetting with some of the, the, the people you're sharing with externally versus collecting their feedback more? Like, like what's that process like for landing on a, a common shared data model?
1: um it, it's it's highly iterative, so um because there's different groups in Glidewell, we have CAD groups, we have internal software developers, we have publicly facing you know um, um components. just there, you know, the CAD team has one way of talking about uh, a restoration. The internal teams creating the lab management systems, they have another way. so getting together um and trying to identify, okay, you call this a product. Or we call this a product. You call it a material, um, because in that CAD system, it's just a material. They they don't really think about it as products. How can we, you know, model this so that you only take what you need um, to understand, but yet we have this larger schema that that makes sense to everyone. And then after that, it's going to business users because a lot of that schema gets reflected in the the, the things that they need to interface with, right? And so if we start calling something one way, and on the lab floor, they really think about it and internalize it a different way, it causes these subtle problems in how the software is used, you know, Mm -hmm. things you wouldn't even think about. And so that getting that alignment, and that's an ongoing challenge, that's not something that has really ultimately been solved, we're working on it now. Um, That's just one of the challenges. And then now you start to go to, uh, they say, the scan system vendor that you want to work with. And they think about things much differently because of GlideWell. Um, one of the things we're so we have we do have a lot of mass. We, we're very large, but we're not seated in the, the the customer's office really. So that scan system is largely seated in that customer's office, and the way they the, the terminology they use, especially on their UX, is really su- suited to the dentist. And the terminology we use is really suited to building, you know, that final mm, restoration. Mm-hmm. And even though we're talking about the same things, um, we're not saying it in the same way a lot of times.
0: Who's the Who's the person or people or team like that drives those conversations within at least on the GlideWell side?
1: Um, you know, we rely a lot on our product owners uh, increasingly to do that. Uh, so they are trying to really. Um, increasingly seat themselves with our final customer and our internal customers. Um, that's a hard job because uh, internally we're so big, and then externally, we service so many um, dentists since we are you know all across the u s and and international. It, it, that that's a that's a monumental effort, really. but you know we're little by little we're we're trying to understand the dental process external to Glidewell better um, Mm -hmm. and not make assumptions about who our customers are and how they do things um, because our customers are changing. You know, those dentists that just like to write on the piece piece of paper, they're retiring. We have the, I guess you could call them the TikTok generation of dentists that are coming in that, you know, they just naturally do things a different way. And so they expect more, you know, real-time kind of immediacy. I should be able to look at my phone and know where, you know, the 10 cases I sent you are at, you know, things like that.
0: Interesting. So before, um, so I typically, like, as we, as we near the end part of the show, I like to talk about like, you know, what's next and future. So I have a couple of sort of questions, but before we get to them, uh, I want to take a little bit of a detour. And, um, you know, I've known you for a while and know that uh, you seem like, you know, the kind of person that, you know, you're you're solving problems in your day job and then you go home and solve other problems with technology uh you know can you want to talk a little bit about like what else are you doing that happens to be in <laughs> the information sharing space?
1: well i hope i'm solving i, I hope i'm solving problems I, I don't know so um you know I, I have a side hustle that was born out of the pandemic like a lot of uh, you know newer companies um and it was basically uh you know, someone came to me and said you know what I do is video production for in-person events. There's no in-person events. What do I do? And so we got, we jumped into the virtual space, uh, virtual event space, uh, just like a lot of companies, albeit much more slowly because you know, we have day jobs um, and trying to figure out how to make that easy, trying to figure out again, there, I, I think there's a similar data sharing problem. Um, it's a little bit different because the, the types of customers that we work with, say they're a nonprofit or there could be a, you know, just a smaller business that puts on events, they don't have a large IT mm-hmm. staff or you know, they probably have an IT guy that comes around once a week, something like that. And so getting that data or teaching them how we can best make it seamless so that people can register, people can log in, watch the event, you can capture the different things that they're interested in or that they're doing, um, feeding that through our system and then back out to them, to their system, um, that's all very challenging because, uh, you know, the event is one thing. It's everything that goes on around the event. I don't know without the pandemic and the move to virtual that companies knew that they should be interested. You know, an in-person event, you come in, you know, you register, you walk in, they maybe they scan you, you sit down, you watch some things that happen, you know, uh, maybe you bid on something, um, you donate, get up and you leave, you eat uh, and drink. Um, and then you get up and you leave with the virtual event. There's so much interaction that you can push to them, and there's so much that um, the end user can interact with, and a lot of that is valuable data. And so, instructing companies that these are the this is the kind of stuff that you should be doing because you want to be able to capture this type of data, and it's not only going to be interesting to you, but it's going to be interesting to share with sponsors, large donors, you know, things like that, and how you share it um, in a meaningful way, you know that's kind of the journey that we're on there. And, and I hope I'm problem solving there. But we'll, you know, we'll find out. Can you give me an
0: example? Like what, what would be some meaningful data to be able to share with people across that, that value
1: chain that you just walked through? Um, you know, if, if, if we, again, like juxtapose it with an in-person event, if someone is talking about a particular topic and it's really resonating with the audience, it's hard to tell, right you know maybe you can tell because people are perked up, but um there's no signal if someone's talking about a particular topic in a virtual event, you know like we'll have a little button you know give me more information, or we'll have little ways for a user to interact um, around that topic, and now we know that you know Tim is very interested in what you were talking about with children's uh or youth outreach um. We already have all of his information. Maybe we automate an email or maybe you, know, you just go old school contact him because you know he has a, a huge interest in that. Or you were showing this particular product um, and they started chatting about it you know, during the event. And this is who was chatting. Um, this is their interest level. You know, there's different ways to prompt that kind of interactivity. And you know, all of that is meaningful throughout a 45 minute or hour long event. There's just a ton of information that you can capture if you know what kind of data points you should be looking for and what kind of interactivity you should push.
0: So I think what's interesting to hear is like how, you know, what what on the surface seem to be two really different sorts of, you know, kind of day job and night job. But I suspect you see some similarities. So is that true? And and what what similarities do you see that that are most obvious or?
1: You know, I. I I'd actually go to um, one of the biggest differences that I'll see, and that's in, if you go to the virtual event again, you've registered, um, there's a link for you, maybe it's personalized or, or maybe we have you log in, we know exactly who you are, um, what you're watching, what you're doing. If you go back to the dental example, so in a practice, you can have three, mm-hmm. four dentists. Um, and I, like I said, Glidewell, will send you out these paper RXs, we'll customize it to your name, but that doesn't mean that you're going to fill out the RX that has your name on, it. you know, you may fill out your partner's rx, maybe you're out or you couldn't find yours, and then you scribble your name across the bottom. Um, if you this even the scan system, so those are all you know, digital. Uh, Tim has a login to the scan system. Now he's going to scan Robert's mouth, you know, your partner comes in, maybe doesn't feel like logging you out and logging back in. And so he's just going to use your login to scan his patient from um, a machine learning perspective, in the virtual event space, we can start to gather information about you, you know, you know, and, and, and some similar similarities to other users. In that dental space, it's almost like uh, my Netflix, where my kids are logging on and they're watching anime, and I'm watching what I watch, but Netflix is really pushing anime on me because there's this confusion, right? It doesn't really know who I am because I'm actually multiple people, and so when I say that you know Glidewell really wants to help the dentist, we want to help you prep better, we want to help you scan better, we want to help you do these different things better, but it's hard to tell what you're good at and what you're not good at because you're you may be three different dentists really, you know, kind of a, an amalgam. It's almost them. like
0: this this signaler is like not as trustworthy. Yeah,
1: yeah, and so incentivizing you. To do these steps correctly, steps that are really unimportant to you. How why is it important that I log Tim out and log me, you know, log me in? Incentivizing you to do that. You know, we need to figure that out. Um, and maybe it's largely around reflecting data back. Hey Tim, these are your stats, and, and if you look at them and say, you know, why are my stats like this? Uh, you know, we can have that conversation about. Well, you know, it's like Robert's Netflix. There's just too many too many people impersonating the same user uh, effectively. And so it, we don't have a clear signal about who you are. You know, one of the
0: things that you touched on in kind of both scenarios is just the importance of kind of like the unobtrusiveness of the technology that that's enabling something. And, you know, for as many blog, gazillion blog posts and things like that that you could read about it, I mean, you, you seem to have a, a keen sense of that. What do you think is... Kind of like the biggest thing you've learned about that over the course of, of your career and why that's important and, or maybe how to tackle
1: it. Uh, I learned UX is very important uh, as a software engineer. You know, I put the button on the screen, just press it. But that's not how it works. Right. Um, and, and I learned that that the user testing, the user interaction, knowing your customer is highly important um, because you do you do want to spend that time to make it simple to incentivize them for whatever reason maybe it's just delightful to do the right things or do what you feel like are the right things so that you can collect those meaningful signals and touch points otherwise if if you make it even just a little bit confusing they still may use it uh you know it's not like they're it, you know depending on what kind of kind of system it is it's not like they're just going to walk away from it they still may use it but they may use it in a way that you just didn't intend and we see that a lot internally um mm-hmm. if you're not careful about how you design these things and you don't do that work up front you're going to miss out on you're you're going to get the interaction you're maybe you'll get the usage but you're going to miss out on so much more and in the past i just don't think it mattered as much because you know the whole data is king is just more of a you know the 20s, the, the 2000s, I'm sorry, kind of thing. But now it's highly important. Um, it's highly important, especially, with you know, the role of machine learning and AI. It's hugely important. It, you 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 need these large data, good data sets in order to have the system make, you know, to infer the right things. That makes sense.
0: You know, um, what about as you look out and, you know, you can answer this from either, you know, kind of your, your, GlideWell, or um, you know, side project perspective, or even both. But what are you most excited about from a tech perspective? Like, what do you think are some of the biggest opportunities? And, and maybe to give it a horizon, like you know, the next twelve months
1: that you're excited about. Well, I don't know if it's going to be twelve months. Uh, it, it could be a lot further out than that. But there is this movement on the GlideWell side. So we're what we are seeing again is. Um, Dentists that just aren't used to technology or that technology was, uh, you know, obtrusive to them are, are starting to retire. And you have these younger dentists that just grew up with technology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you know, they expect there's an app that they're going to interact with. They're starting to become more of the mainstream. And why that's important is because the entities around that start to focus on that. You know, if 70% of your dentists like to use, so you don't hear that, if seventy percent of your dentists like to use a piece of paper, there's no incentive for these uh, external companies, you know, um, that are servicing to to be sophisticated at all, right? Mm-hmm. But more that they have to be sophisticated, and there's there's a constraint, you know, not only budget wise but just resource wise on just hiring software engineers. So now they have to lean more on partnerships um, to be able to get things done. I think you'll just see more sophistication in in the, across the industry, um, more API driven, more data driven, and then that'll really bring about that need for some standardization. Because right now, like I said, there just really isn't. There's just a lot of human in between most processes, and humans interpret. Yeah, yeah, interesting.
0: What about um, you know if if you could unlock something or you know kind of wave the, your magic wand and unlock something around better data sharing, uh, what, would, what, would be your, what would be the top of your wish list?
1: You know, I, I think, you know, we've said it just like, so when it comes to data sharing, um, at some points, you know, Glidewell is the end user, right? Um, and so just like we need it to be simple for the dentist or simple for our lab technician, um, there needs to be some simplicity around it. I want to seamlessly share data with company X, but that doesn't mean I want a development effort around that, right? What What, what is the easiest way for me to do that? I don't have developers for developer's sake. Um, so I, I need them to focus on what is our core competence. Um, so that kind of like, you know, ease of use direct, I would love it if there was a low code system for integration. And so, uh, you know, across uh, all these different vendors, so that we didn't have to focus on that part because that's more of like, just kind of busy work, it, it feels like at times. So, you know, I, I think that's what unlocks it. How easy is it? And then
0: mm-hmm.
1: how easy is it to keep it secure? Because that's the other problem, right? I mean, you want security, not only just at the API level, but at the data level, there's certain people shouldn't be able to peer at certain things. And so how, how do you make that easy? Uh, because right now what happens is you know, everybody's short on resources. So a lot of times when we do get an integration, someone wants to send me a lot more data than I really want, only because they use that format you know, somewhere else. So how to make it um, simple, how to make it useful, um, uh, I, I think you know, that's going to be important to unlocking you know, uh, that sharing.
0: No. Um... So kind of one one final question before we wrap up um, is just keying off something you just said, which is you kind of represented this tension to me of like abstraction, use the phrase like low code, and then kind of just rigor and, and <laughs> like talking about security and and you know at, at various levels. and so the one thing that strikes me too, having known you and some of the folks on, on your team for a while, is. If I remember right, I think glidewell like you're you're one of the like an early cloud user uh and so like it seems like there's something that you have figured out as you lead your team as it relates to this idea of like abstraction and kind of power through that, but at the same time, you know rigor and you know security or compliance or whatever it is like I'd love to just hear your you know if you were talking to someone younger in their career, for example. Who's like, hey, I want to, I want to run a uh, an engineering team or an application development team, and how would you talk to them or what would you coach them on, kind of how to think about balancing that tension?
1: I tell them be a writer instead. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, so I, I think security, it really has to be this the same way, um, because that tension, there is that tension, right, and and I think it. it it causes issues because uh, you're only as good, you're only as secure as I'd say either the, the developer writing the code or the reviewer, um, and it shouldn't be that way. It should that needs to be simple as well. It should be that the environment is securing whatever is pushed into it, or the the build process, um, the deployment process, whatever it is. Um, that's where that layer uh, needs to come in for consistency. So whether it knows and, and uh, hopefully this makes sense, but going back to just consistency and in, in what we call things, if it knows uh, something should, some field should not be exposed or should have a particular attribute on it um, and the developer missed it, you know, it would be great to have some automated analysis that would go ahead and even just do that quick update check in and okay, let's go back through the process again. Um, Yeah, I I don't know, and I've certainly not mastered any uh, anything about security. Uh, I would tell somebody younger, it's great to know how to write code, and while you're you're getting obsessed with that, you know, maybe start from from how do I secure this code? What are the what are the known types of issues that may arise if I don't do things in a in a particular way? I guess hopefully that answers your question, but yeah, yeah, really, really start from Start from a hacker's point of view, you know, and then work backwards and learn how to, how to write code.
0: Um, great. Thanks. Thanks for walking through that. Um, well, you know, thanks so much, Robert, uh, for kind of just getting a, a chance to sit down with you and spend some time talking about how you think about data sharing. I, I appreciate it. And then I also thank uh, all of you who are listening and joining us. So for all those listeners out there, if you're interested in learning more about the different organizations or kind of products you know, research that um, we've either mentioned on this uh, episode or any of the others, please visit bendia.com forward slash podcast for our links. And when you're ready to keep the conversation going, download or stream our episodes from either Spotify, Apple Music, top streaming services. And if you have a point of view on uh, this discussion, any of our others or anything around the potential of real-time data sharing, wanna be a guest, Uh, just DM us at uh, at Vendia HQ on Twitter. And you can mention circles of trust. Um, Thanks again, everybody for joining us. Thanks again to you, Robert. It was great to get a chance to to chat with you. And um, until next time, everyone. Cheers.